0: Hey there, and welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people living in Taiwan. I'm Trevor Tortamasi, and joining me in the studio today is John Murn, co-founder and executive director of All Hands Taiwan. All Hands is a nonprofit that helps people network and foster professional connections and helps organizations find new ways to contribute to Taiwan. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Uh, so I guess we can start off simple. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about All Hands Taiwan and its goals? Sure.
1: We are... Past the three and a half year mark of doing what All Hands does, which has been an evolving thing. Um, As you mentioned, we have uh, networking events, effectively monthly at the moment. They've been more frequent and less frequent over the past few years. We've hosted a couple of job fairs, possibly Taiwan's largest ever job fair. Um, How big was that? uh, We had 3,000 attendees and about 25 companies.
0: Bragging rights. That's amazing.
1: Uh, it was great. It felt good. It was a lot of work. Um, but we definitely helped a lot of people and helped a lot of companies. And, you know, that's one of the major reasons we're doing this. We're considering whether a job fair is on the table for 2023. Um, you know, we're also looking to understand how to better solidify our organization. Um, you know, running a nonprofit is uh, a lot of volunteer hours and a lot of thankless things. It doesn't have to be volunteer hours, and we're also trying to explore that. But it's been a bit of a curious journey to understand where we might find uh, corporate partners in Taiwan that really, maybe whether they understand this from a perspective of uh, corporate social responsibility or their own community building or hiring branding, uh, type benefit for them. So uh, we're still working on that. Um, we've been talking to some people recently and we're trying to understand, you know, what, what might all hands look like in a year or three years or five years, which is not something we've ever really done. We started out just as two people trying to throw some events and see if people wanted that. And uh, it's spiraled into something much bigger.
0: So you and Danny, is it Danny Miller? That's right. You guys co-founded this three and a half years ago mm-hmm. with, uh, with, maybe not as many long-term plans, and now you're realizing that you have something really valuable. You're helping people network, find jobs. Um, the go- How would you describe the goals? Because I've given a basic introduction, but are yeah, All Hands for?
1: Good question. Um, the goals have definitely continued to evolve. And as in terms of a tagline, we've been starting to use this phrase that All Hands is for Taiwan. Hmm. And that's uh, because the things we do are effectively broad, but it's also a, a safety net to make sure that Taiwanese people feel invited to access All Hands Taiwan, because uh, we found that it can be a bit of a knee-jerk reaction for some Taiwanese people who look at our event photos and see a mixed room of people from all around the world, and they think, oh, that's for foreigners, that's not for Taiwanese. Yeah. And that's a really, uh, you know, that that stops our potential progress in, the, in its tracks with every person who thinks that, right? so. The goals are to continue offering valuable networking events as long as we have the bandwidth to do it. And as I mentioned, um, we'd love to continue doing bigger things like job fairs, but um, we're becoming wiser in our years in understanding that needs to be sustainable, that there needs to be money in the bank. You know, This organization is in debt to me and Danny and our other partner, Guillaume. And um, that's okay. We've done that willfully and It's mostly felt good along the way. It hasn't crippled us, obviously, but um, it's not really how you want to run an organization in the long term. So the goal is to try to understand if we want to go bigger and more financially sustainable or kind of keep it at more of like a community level where we can have a really manageable, interesting, fun set of events, you know, every month, you know, give or take a little more, a little less often.
0: So on your journey to like more sustainability for all hands, this has affected the way you guys run the company uh, on a deeper level.
1: Absolutely. Before the pandemic, when we threw our biggest job fair, we were in a position where we had a little bit of money in the bank and we were able to pay uh, Guillaume, one of our partners, a partial salary. And he really was the steam engine that made that job fair happen. And the mm-hmm. job fair was profitable and it got us in the black at in that respect. Uh, it also, you know, you learn... Uh, <laughs> in leaps and bounds when you throw an event of a, of a scope and scale you've never thrown before. So we see the potential for doing that time and again, and that, being the way that the organization remains solvent and and can remain independent with fewer, let's say, corporate partners. Uh, We have sponsorship decks and we Mm -hmm. go around and talk to companies about all kinds of things. And so we have an offering that's never been taken up by a company, which is, do you want to sponsor one of our monthly events or three of them, for example? Mm -hmm. That sponsorship could include any manner of things. We're open to it. It can be your logos at the event, it can be social media marketing beforehand, it can be your job openings, you can bring your HR people, you can have a 10-minute talk at the beginning. No company has ever taken us up on that. Hmm. Uh, we're able to show demographic information, we're able to show who comes to our events, who are these people, what countries, what ages, what industries, that kind of stuff. And um, you know, we're, we're really struggling to understand why Companies don't see the value in investing in that. And I don't know if it's market specific, you know, being an American, you know, corporate social responsibility is a huge aspect of the way that companies think about themselves and the way that they uh, manage their employer branding, their PR schemes, and everything else, which, you know, obviously affects your bottom line. But um, in Taiwan, definitely. I can at least say that companies expect to have some tangible return. And, you know, it's kind of hard to offer. It's What we can offer is exposure to uh, a certain community, a community of people who want to uh, grow their careers, who want to grow skills, who want to meet interesting people. They might be hiring. They might be looking for projects. They might have projects. It's, uh, they might be looking for a job. And we have unique access to people of this mindset. And we try to talk in these terms as well because we think, talking about people with an international mindset is also inclusive of Taiwanese mm. because our audience is fifty percent Taiwanese, right? So we've had thousands of people come to our events. Our job fair is sixty is two-thirds attended by Taiwanese. Mm. and our monthly events are fifty percent attended by Taiwanese. As a company, if you're looking to hire, you don't only have to be looking to hire international talent to access our community. You can also be accessing Taiwanese people who have a different mindset than uh, who don't have, let's say, a strictly local mindset. They may have studied abroad, lived abroad, traveled extensively, or are just hungry to improve their language skills and their uh, perspective by trading So language, ideas.
0: There's no language barrier stopping these people from taking, up, taking you up on your offer.
1: I mean, once we're already in the room, it shows that these companies are at a level that they're interested in having those conversations, right? So, mm-hmm. it's not only multinationals. It's a lot of startups here are already international companies or their, their business is global or regional. Um, so, they're already working either in English or just in multiple languages. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is relevant. Our events are only in English. We... Uh, We did start doing some events in Mandarin, but we found that stylistically uh, our approach wasn't as appealing for Taiwanese and the market is already saturated with all kinds of very good professional events for, for Mandarin speakers.
0: So, I want to ask about how you work with the government as well, mm-hmm. um, or how closely you work with them. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a recent news story uh, due to Taiwan's declining birth rate, aging population, etc. The National Development Council has just announced its intention to bring about 400,000 skilled, that's a lot, skilled professionals into Taiwan over the next 10 years. What are your thoughts on how this can be carried out? And um, do you work with the government on this kind of thing?
1: Yeah. So, I recently fielded a very similar question at uh Presentation to a new non-government organization in Taiwan, uh, Center for Asia Pacific Resilience and Innovation. Um, it's a U.S. and Taiwan kind of co-hosted NGO, but they asked effectively the same question: You know, how can Taiwan t- try to address these uh, expectations of bringing in international talent? And you know, I think. It has to be answered starting with the local workforce and the approach to the local workforce. So, you hear a lot of people singing out about how teachers get paid well for international community, teachers get paid well, and other starting professionals often could make more as a teacher effectively. Mm. And, you know, if you stay in your white collar job for a couple of years, you probably can get back to that threshold and go well past it. But it is this strange imbalance, right? And, even those people working in Bushibans are sharing a classroom with Taiwanese teachers whose salaries are about probably half of theirs or less. And that's uh, <clears throat> exemplary of you know the market at large. And so until Taiwanese people's salaries come up, until we raise – what do we say? High tides raise all ships. So until that quality of life comes up for everybody, it is going to be harder to retain international talent. But there's multiple touch points here, right? You have companies that are afraid or intimidated by losing face. They've never hired anyone, uh, anyone who's not Taiwanese. Um, They don't have any working structures in place for that person to work in English. That person's job probably doesn't have to be in Mandarin, right? 99% of non-Taiwanese people in Taiwan, their job is not in Mandarin, But, you know, the government in Taiwan does a great job of providing support systems for companies in in many ways. And I think one system that would be immensely beneficial would be like either uh, a hiring and training service for bringing on international talent or a hiring and training service for human resources. Um, so that these companies can get a better idea of what it is to hire someone from a different culture who speaks a different language who may have a different salary expectation or working hours expectations. So I think there's many steps that will need to be considered in between if if Taiwan hopes to even remotely approach this goal of 400,000 over, 10 years.
0: Right. And it seems to always want to bring them from abroad. Um, when I was teaching in Taiwan, I was not allowed to do any job, get a visa for any job or work permit for any job that um, I didn't have two years' work experience post graduation outside Taiwan for. But I had come to Taiwan right after graduation. I feel like there's a lot of people here who are teaching who are not only willing but also like pretty prepared to go into other careers. Uh, there might be some legal hurdles, but how do we get Taiwan to hire people from inside the country as much as from outside the country?
1: Yep, really good question. I okay. totally agree. A few years ago, we were at an or- at a meeting hosted by I don't remember if it was Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but one of the governmental organizations. We were the only non-Taiwanese people in the room. There were senators and major corporation C-suite type folks there. It was moderated by a couple of professors in international business. And um, yeah, one of the pieces of feedback I gave in that meeting was, I think one of the questions was, what can Taiwan do to market itself better internationally to attract talent? And one of the pieces of feedback I gave was, You know, dedicate some budget and effort to first inspiring the people who are here to be mouthpieces. So if you have, I don't know, 80,000 Canadians or 100,000 British people or 250,000 Filipinos, uh, for example, you know, give those people a reason to sing out. And to let people know in their home countries, right? These are all mouthpieces and it doesn't cost much to make those people feel excited to share something because they already choose to live in Taiwan. They choose to be here, right? And so I, I start the answer this way because to your point, the reason that All Hands Taiwan started was because- I was getting this question. I used to work in ad agencies for about a decade, and I would, you know, be at a bar or at somebody's birthday party and meeting new people. And eventually, you get to this question. And you know, uh, ten years ago, everybody in the room was a teacher or a student, unless you lived in a sequestered Tianmu neighborhood. And so, the question always came back to me, like, "How did you get that job? How do you do that?" And there was no way to tell people how to do that. Right? I nearly you know, sent myself home from Taiwan trying to freelance to find a job. And there was no one way to do that. But we also recognize that totally to your point, you know, let's say probably 50, probably more than 50% of Bushiban teachers who choose to stay in Taiwan for several years or their whole life would choose a different career if they could. But mostly because of the legal prohibitions in Taiwan, they're not able to do that. So- I don't know why that falls on deaf ears in Taiwan. I don't know if that's somebody losing face if we choose to change the law that says that you can come in as an untrained professional. But I believe the ARC laws have changed a little bit on the two-year thing and the master's okay. degree. They've at least been brought into discussion. So uh, they are Taiwan does finally recognize that, like of course, 90% of the international talent here are going to be junior right? Maybe it's their first job and that's actually who most of these companies need to employ, right? Mm. Junior technical writer, an account manager who speaks German or, you know, whatever that kind of thing is.
0: That seems to be one of the most common moves I've seen is is people working and teaching and they can spin it as like being an English language editor and then they move into editing jobs. Um, that is how I got one job previously. But um, what advice do you have for foreign workers who are looking to move uh, into a new industry who are already here?
1: Sure. You know, project-based work is good. Do something to develop a portfolio. Uh, do something to demonstrate that you have the skills. Whether you want to be in graphic design or you want to get into coding or uh, you speak several languages, then you know you can get a certificate. So do things that uh, physically or, or tangibly can demonstrate what skills you have or what you've accomplished. Um, that helps obviously not only in earning conversations with companies, but if they have to prove to the government why they're giving you that visa, right? The two-year requirement in the past was protective, right? So that uh, non-Taiwanese people were not taking jobs from Taiwanese people, but now we have uh, a very opposite situation. So Hmm. uh, that, and then networking, again, that's why all hands started. When people would ask me 10 years ago, how did you get that job? I always said, you should go out and meet as many people as you can. And it's the long game, but that's the one thing you can control. Those are the two things you can control. How often you go networking and how hard you work on whatever skill it is you want to show or, or profession it is you want to work in and, and show that you can do that. Mm-hmm. So control the things you can control. And you know, if you choose to stay on the couch rather than going to a networking event, then you know you live with that choice. It's not it doesn't yeah. mean you have to go seven days a week to two events a, a day, but mm-hmm. You know, if you, you know, if you choose to hang out instead of whatever, working on your graphic design, you know, these are trade offs you can make that will help you eventually claw your way into something. And if you,
0: this is a sort of an adjacent reminder, but if you want to learn anything in today's world, like it's all on the internet, Mm -hmm. it's so available. Mm -hmm. How come a mostly foreigner helmed Taiwanese nonprofit is seen by a lot of people as an answer to help move forward with their career in Taiwan?
1: Well, of course, we're proud when people see it that way. And the reason that we're seen that way in our belief is that we're nimble. Um, we've achieved a lot for a small organization in the course of a few years. And I think we look like a bigger organization than we are. We're proud of our branding. We're, we intentionally have a professional photographer at every event. You know, um, We work hard at that because we're trying to give a good experience. It's also why we work hard at the style of our events. Uh, but it is problematic that we're seen as one of the most maybe important uh, job resources in Taiwan. And it's problematic because we're a volunteer-run organization with four or five people at the core who all have day jobs. Mm-hmm. And you have corporations like 104.com.tw, which has something like nine floors of a high-rise as part of the hiring ecosystem. And you have uh, governmental organizations, you know, whether it's at IDB or Talent Circulation Alliance, uh, Bureau of Foreign Affairs, and you know, there are several uh, different offices to deal with it. But If I can offer, you know, a bit of a critique to that, it's partially is because the Taiwan government hasn't really made any effort to involve non-Taiwanese people in its efforts to bring in international talent. If you go to the government branded job websites and stuff, it's pretty clear that they're mostly not written or edited by native English speakers and the design is not modern. And, you know, I'm guessing a lot of these projects don't actually get that much money you know, they're well-intended and maybe one office or one politician needed a win on that, but they're not well-sustained. You know, yeah. one of the real issues with this 400,000 people in 10 years, Mark, is is like underpinning that. Is, is there any government organization or person who really wants that? Because you don't hear any politicians at all in Taiwan talking about improving the international talent pool or helping Taiwanese companies understand how to hire international talent. Mm-hmm. You don't hear anybody doing that, right?
0: Or so, reminding people that cutting costs is not the way to, maybe it's the way to bring people in, but it's not the way to keep them. Right.
1: Taiwan identity, Taiwanese people's identity is inextricably linked to the challenge of bringing more international talent to Taiwan. White faces, black faces, Hispanic faces are still a novelty in places in Taiwan, right? Uh, I Mm want to just tell a quick story about someone who has become Taiwanese on paper and their experience of recepti- receptivity or not with Taiwanese people. So um, there's a friend we have from Guatemala. He's been a panelist on all hands uh, before. And uh, Guatemala is a country where there's no real penalty for giving up your home citizenship, which it is problematic if you're an American and several other countries that will penalize you for that or there's a certain time before you can apply to get it back. But to become a citizen in Taiwan, you have to give up your home citizenship. So because Guatemala doesn't care, uh, this person gave up his uh guatemalan citizenship he's married to a taiwanese woman he applied he's finished it he now has a taiwanese identity he is taiwanese he can vote you know the whole nine when he goes to the bank he hands over his sanfenzen or his id and you know he had to change over all of his stuff because his id numbers change and of course he's hearing the bank tellers all twittering and then they're saying you know Why in this, why we in that, why we in this, and they don't really believe that that his idea is real. Yeah. And it causes a stir and he's there for hours.
0: Then that's a whole afternoon. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, so like I think like culturally, all of these conversations of how do we internationalize Taiwan, it goes really deep into preparing Taiwanese people for that idea. Not just these systems of being ready for a white face to hand over a Taiwan ID, Mm -hmm. but accept Filipino people as equal. Accept migrant workers as equal. Mm -hmm. And not have it be a novelty when you see a white person when you go hiking out in Nantou or something like that. You know, like there's, yeah, a, there's a gap in this normalization, right? The businesses that are calling for this exist in a different space than 85% of the Taiwanese populace.
0: Mm. Yeah, it is something that people will have to get used to. And and sometimes this kind of, quote, getting used to it uh, can take generations. Um, but I think totally with the agree. age of the internet, shouldn't there be a way we can do it faster? It seems that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I also like, you know, as a positive, I point to how much Taiwanese people are willing to listen to the government's guidance on things. mm. The way that we made it through COVID, you know, for so long and, and things like that. I do think the government has an opportunity to lead the rhetoric and change some minds about how the general public thinks about who lives in Taiwan and who they are and how they're related to you or me, you know.
0: So for bringing people into Taiwan, there is a gold card program, but the, the standards they set for, for applying are bafflingly high. Um, and I have seen people, even after they've gone through many steps of the process, and it seems like they're almost going to get the gold card. Um, there are so many twists and turns that they, they issue about, what is it, 2,000 per year?
1: I don't know. I think total to date is like less than 5,000. Um, so but you, that's kind of the goal, right? It's meant to be this prestigious well not necessarily prestigious. The goal was to bring like very accomplished talent. People with patents, people with specialized knowledge and things like that. But again, there's gaps, right? Like like categories. Is
0: this is the gold card a template for something that could be much better, or is there some kind of massive change you need that you think needs to be made for a program like this to, to function?
1: I think the gold card can best be seen as a template for understanding how to give job seekers, not in Taiwan, time to look for a job and maybe align that with resources. So, you know, Taiwan's been talking for several years about digital nomads. Should we care? Are there enough of those people? Is it useful for them to be here? Are there resources in Taiwan? There's not really a visa for those people. There's not a good visa for freelancers in Taiwan. There's not a good visa for artists in Taiwan, right? So the gold card, I I would say at best can be, uh, partially a template for those kinds of things. I think if you want to bring in 400,000 people in 10 years, you need to make it easy for them to land here and look for a job because mm. most Taiwanese companies won't hire someone they've never met without bringing them here. Mm. So, you know, that part of the gold card I think is really important. You give people an open work permit for a certain amount of time and you give them a visa that gives them, I don't know, three months or six months, you know, they you can still give them a financial requirement. They need to be able to pay for their own life when they come here. Sure. But, um, you know, as you pointed out, when you came here, I came here and taught. We've probably both had the same experience of coming on a tourist visa and then being told to leave and go somewhere else and change the paperwork and come back so that we could work legally. And the whole time until we received our first paycheck, we were living off whatever money we had.
0: Yeah. And how many times have you been to Hong Kong now? A million. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Probably never again,
0: but a million. Yeah. Seriously. So I guess in in a talking toward a more positive direction, Mm -hmm. um, working through all hands Taiwan for these few years. How have you seen the situation improve? Um, What changes have you been a part of or what changes are you really happy to see in general?
1: I think um, the the job marketplace in Taiwan, the hiring marketplace and the practices are going to be dictated by the companies. The government is not going to move on this unless the companies Express pain points. If semiconductor companies and Amazon Web Services and Gogoro and big companies that have their foundries here aren't clamoring for support on something like needing more professionals, the government's not going to be incentivized to do that. So we definitely see and hear from companies that are proactively trying to hire. You know, they have clear agendas, they have budgets, they have headcounts. Uh, they're trying to get the requisite people to do what they want to achieve with their business. So I think, you know, that's a very positive thing. And we definitely hear from companies that are bumping up against limitations or bumping up against, uh, you know, legal things that make it a bit of a challenge for them to do some of the hiring they need to. But I would say that the big companies in Taiwan have the greatest potential to impact the hiring changes and the hiring environment in Taiwan.
0: And, and the faster they bump up against those restrictions that they didn't realize were there, I guess that's the faster you break the glass ceiling.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the Ta- a lot of people don't know this. The Taiwan government has to read and respond to the American Chamber of Commerce's annual white paper. And that is a powerful
0: thing. Can you explain what uh, the annual white paper is?
1: So, the American Chamber of Commerce publishes a book every year uh, covering, uh, they group together industries, and then within each industry, they address the state of the industry. So, they'll talk about the, the Taiwan state of industry uh, with respect to the American companies based here because it's the American Chamber of Commerce. So, they'll talk about GDP and supply and demand, growth, you know, challenges. And then within each of those industry subsectors, the companies get to make recommendations for the government to improve things, right? And these are suggestions, you know, requests, uh, but they're showing real pain points about basically the internationalization of business in Taiwan. So that's a really important piece of media, but of course it's dictated only by one organization, which does represent hundreds of companies here. Um, So there is a real voice there, um, but it is still a bit of a walled garden the chambers are a bit sensitive, you know. They're protective of what they have. They they offer services to their member companies who who all pay a significant fee to be a member. You know, they have HR committees, marketing committees, manufacturing, and all kinds of things like that. They they have their own networking events. They can get politicians and other business leaders to come and speak, which is great. So uh, our relationships with the chambers are a little bit touch and go. You know, if we find a common need for an individual event or something, then we might be able to work together, but we haven't yet been able to engage most of the chambers deeply. Um, When we were only about six months old, actually AIT came to us. And that's the reason we had our first job fair um, because there is an organization uh, run by, the U, by AIT and the Taiwanese government called the Talent Circulation Alliance, TCA. So the Talent Circulation Alliance, which is now overseen by the IDB, Industrial Development Bureau, is a uh, it's an initiative to inspire Taiwan to work with other democracies to exchange talent and uh, increase trade. Um, so when AIT was getting this program off the ground in, uh, I guess, summer of 2020, they came to us and said, wow, it looks like your events are going really great, we'd love to talk to you and um, they already were in development. You know, TCA was preparing to launch, and so they asked if we'd like to run a job fair. And so in September 2020, uh, we we had a job fair and launched the TCA at the same time. Um, sitting DPP Senator Karen Yu gave the opening remarks. AIT Director w- uh, came and gave a speech. Um, people from the chambers were there, and uh, so that was really our first time getting involved in the governmental organizations. And uh, over time, um, we've been invited to advise. On certain things with Ministry of Education, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Bureau of Consular Affairs, uh, you know, the Office of the Gold Card, and several of these other organizations. At the moment, I would say, you know, we're a founding partner of talent circulation, so we do have an existing relationship with them, but we frequently rub up against III, IDB, and the different ministries, but we don't necessarily have any dedicated relationships with them now, but it has been useful for us to get into the room with them, hear how they do things, share our thoughts, which often are far too aspirational to hope to get done. A lot of these things need to be done in fractions of baby steps.
0: Right, yeah, and the bureaucracy, holy hell. Yeah. Can you give us uh, any, do you, do you have any more insight uh, into how the company is run? What does it feel like when you guys are at work and, and what on your what's on your daily task list?
1: Sure. Yeah, we're a a fully remote uh volunteer run organization. So you might say that our Slack is uh <laughs> kind of the center of the spider's web and that's where we are planning things and we're working together and independently, you know. So we have monthly event planning going on. We're discussing uh job fair, like I said, we run a program called the Membership Card which is a um uh <laughs> funny discount card that we came up with (laughs) to try to help sustain our organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have participating local restaurants and bars where you can get discounts with the card. Uh, So we have social media accounts that need to be run for that. And so the way that we run is we try to have a weekly meeting And we check in daily and and everybody shares from what they're working on, you know. So we have an event coordinator and she's really like the glue person for us. She helps make sure that every event is coming together as needed. She asks important questions and uh, the other team members have to report in on what their responsibilities are. Danny and Guillaume and myself, we kind of, I guess, have somewhat undefined roles, but in essence... I guess my main role is is creating relationships for the organization, so earning us meetings with big corporates, getting speaking engagements at the governmental organizations, uh, learning about other sponsorship possibilities. And Danny's day job is about bringing interns from Europe to Taiwan, so he's always looking out for business development partners. And uh, Guillaume had been working very hard at doing a lot of the marketing uh, collateral, um, but again, you know, since we're all volunteers, his situation has changed for the better with a great job. Um, So his bandwidth is a bit less. And so, you know, we really need more volunteers. We really need more people who can and are interested in coming out, whether they're young people who want to get experiences in in marketing or event planning, or whether they're experienced business development people who can help us refine our pitches and things like that. So you know, every week, uh, excuse me, every month, our events are also staffed by volunteers, and we really are grateful to those people. If you go to our website, there's a picture with about 50 people in All Hands Taiwan t-shirts. Those are all the volunteers from our big job fair in 2020. And that wasn't even all the people that was the first shift and so wow we're proud that our organization looks put together, um, but maybe one of the things we are struggling to do is to continually share the message that, you know, for this kind of organization to be sustainable, we do need people to to come out and, and offer to help. And not not necessarily, it does help to come and help at one volunteer at one event, but we also need people who have a little bit of bandwidth that can contribute over time to things like helping us do marketing or events and, and things like that.
0: So uh, finding sustainability for uh, for All Hands is... No easy task, but moving forward, what's what's on the agenda?
1: We're really weighing kind of two levels of commitment. You know, we're kind of in a gray area post-pandemic. Obviously, it affected the rhythm of our events. It affected our uh, what we hoped to have been two job fairs in 2021, which would have shaped. Um, everything for our organization, making it financially soluble and probably having you a know, small handful of employees. Um, but currently we still sit as a, a handful of volunteers. So uh, we're really trying to understand if we have it in us and if one or more of us wants to commit and make this our job and really change our approach to fundraising so that we can earn, let's say, six or eight months of operating funds before we go into a job fair cycle and hopefully then, you know, are are working uh, in a profitable or, you know, sustainable, financially sustainable way. Uh, Or if we decide we kind of just want to scale it back and continue doing the networking events that we do now, um, which are great. I'm really proud of our organization in that we have a very open uh, mindset about that. And we have open conversations about that. For more than two years, we've talked about, hey, what if this is it? You know, What if our bandwidth runs out? Or what if we all just decide we don't want to do it? And um, you know, I can say with a lot of confidence that we're all really proud that All Hands Taiwan has already served its purpose in this society. And that's amazing. We feel great. We've helped hundreds of people get jobs. We've helped dozens of companies improve the way that they do their hiring. And knowing that we, if we want to walk away from it is kind of, a an empowering thing. It's not scary to think about doing less or doing only what's manageable, but, um, yeah, looking at the other possibility, it's, it's interesting. It's very different for us to think of one or more of us to make this our job because we never, ever started with that idea. We never, ever thought it would be an organized nonprofit. So, um, yeah, we're kind of at a crossroads and we're talking to people that we hope are better advised than us to uh, help give us some, some insights and some gi- suggestions about which way makes more sense for us.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's clear that you're working on something that has immense value in Taiwan. Um, I just hope that the Taiwanese uh, government, maybe bigger businesses um, can see how they can benefit from this too. Um and how this society can benefit from it as a whole. So uh, is uh, where can people find you or All Hands or anything else, events you've got coming up?
1: Uh, All Hands Taiwan is on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, the Membeership, which I mentioned, is also on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, for events, uh, it's easiest to find us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Uh, we are looking for interns. Um, if you're interested in business development, account management, accounting marketing graphic design i'd love to talk to you uh you can email me at john at all taiwan.com john with an h uh, yeah, watch the Facebook or LinkedIn. Uh, we like to try to have a few events up in advance, but it's hard to stay ahead of the calendar.
0: Thank you for coming in to talk today.
1: Thanks for the time, Trevor. I really appreciate it.
0: Um, and here we are uh, at the end. Um, if you've enjoyed our conversation or you have ideas about the conversation, um, hit up ICRT or Trebatsky on Instagram um, and uh, reach out to us. Um, and if you enjoyed the conversation, obviously, please share it as well. Tell people about the, uh, the podcast Taiwan Talk. And uh, for everything else, until next time... I'm Trevor Tordomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday. English in the News for useful English expressions explained in Chinese and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z for Simplified Daily News. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.